Grace and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Last week we heard the account of Jesus returning to his boyhood home of Nazareth. He opened the scriptures, he taught in the synagogue, and I think it's fair to say he wasn't very warmly received. (laughs) When the people rise up to try to kill you, it's a pretty good indication that they didn't really like the message very much. And that's exactly what happened. They rose up, tried to kill Jesus. They were ready to throw him off of the cliff. And then what happens? He walks right through their midst. This is a reminder for us that Jesus did indeed come to die, but his time to come uh, to die had not yet come. His appointed time to die had not yet come. But the reaction of the crowd in Nazareth was one that Jesus would receive many places, many times. Eventually, he would lay down his life, but nobody takes it from him. He walks right through their midst, and they couldn't stop him. Nobody could take his life from him. He would go and lay down his life on the cross at the right time and the right place. So now we we go from that town of Nazareth where the people have become so angry and we pick things up in verse 31. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. Now in our day and age, when we say somebody went down, we generally mean they went south. Because when we look at a map, south is down. (laughs) And our thinking is oriented based on that. So when we say somebody went down, we generally mean they went south. But in the biblical accounts, when it says down, it almost always means they went down in terms of elevation. They went down from being a higher elevation to a lower elevation. This, this makes perfect sense to me. I grew up out west with mountains all around. You go up to the mountains, you go down from the mountains. But... This might seem like a small thing to us. Why, why waste any time explaining this? But it's important because sometimes when people read Scripture and they see something like this and they go, well, wait a minute, Capernaum is north of Nazareth, not south of Nazareth. He didn't go down, he went up. See, the Bible doesn't have it right there. Well, no, you just don't understand what it's actually saying. Nazareth is a higher elevation. It's the hill country. Capernaum is down by the Sea of Galilee. It's lower down. So even though it's north, it's down. Okay? So he goes down to the city of Capernaum, the town of Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. Once again, on the Sabbath day, where is Jesus to be found? In the synagogue. Again, we're reminded of the importance of the third commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. We are to be where the word of God is rightly taught, where the word of God is being proclaimed, where the gifts of God are present for us. And we're to set aside a day to make sure that happens. Now, once again, the people are there. They're listening to Jesus, and they're just blown away by his preaching. But notice here what really stuck out to the people. He, his word had what? 
authority. What does that mean? His word possessed authority. Well, at first you might think, well, he, he speaks like somebody who knows what he's talking about, right? He's an authoritative speaker. He speaks with confidence and he speaks with knowledge of the subject. Well, yeah, I think it's safe to say he has good knowledge of the subject since he's proclaiming the scriptures of which he is the author. Yeah, he knows the subject matter pretty well, but that's not really what it means here. Uh, in our day and age, we, usually, we often use that word authority in this sense. No, he's a leading authority in the field of ocean exploration, or she's a leading authority in uh, the study of ancient Egypt. And again, we're just talking about a knowledge. But authority here means more than just a mere knowledge about a subject. It actually means authority. It means one who has authority over something or someone. Like a military general has authority over his troops or the king has authority over his subjects. In other words, Jesus spoke as one who was in charge because Jesus was in charge. He was a king speaking like a king. This is why in Luke chapter 7, we have this, this wonderful account of the Roman centurion. You remember this? The Roman centurion has his uh, servant who is sick to the point of death, and he sends for Jesus asking for help. And some of the people go to Jesus and they, they say, oh, come, come help this guy, Jesus. He really deserves it. And before Jesus even gets to the house, the, the man sees him coming. He sends out some of his friends. He doesn't even go to speak to Jesus himself. He sends out some of his friends to speak to Jesus. And, and he says, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to have you to come to you. But say the word and let my servant be healed. For I am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. So the centurion sends to Jesus and he says, you don't even have to come. You've got authority. You say it, that's how it's going to be. The centurion understood the authority of Jesus and that everything was subject to him because Jesus is the king. His word is power because Jesus has authority. Say the word and so it will be. You know what? His word still has authority, doesn't it? The, the power is still at work today. When the word of God is spoken, there is a power to it because Jesus sent us to speak. It's by his authority that we're speaking it. So there's power when we proclaim the word of God. When we share Jesus with a friend, there's power there because of the authority of Jesus. When I preach in church, when I teach the Bible, there's power because of the authority of Jesus. When the pastor declares, your sins are forgiven. Your sins really are forgiven because Jesus is the authority to, to make it so, and he sends me to do that. When you say to a friend or a, 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 a child or to your spouse who has sinned against you, I forgive you in the name of Jesus, 
their sins are forgiven because of the authority of Jesus. We see the authority of Jesus here in the synagogue in in Capernaum in what happens next. It says, And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. As Jesus is preaching, the unclean demon cries out, What do you you have to do with us? What's up with that? Leave me alone. Now, what was it that, that causes this reaction? What was Jesus preaching that causes such a reaction? Well, we can kind of figure out what Jesus' message was from parallel passages and from what happens earlier in Luke. Jesus is saying, the reign of God has come. The kingdom of God is here. I'm the king. I've come. Your time is done. The time of darkness is over. The time of light has come. The king is here. Now, the words of the unclean spirit are really interesting. Because this demon actually says things that are true. You don't expect that, do you? (laughs) Satan's supposed to lie. Demons are supposed to, to, to lie to us. But the demon actually says things that are true. Now, why would the demon say things that are true? Well, see, he can color things in such a way that it might deceive. Part of it here is, what does he call him? Jesus of Nazareth. Why go to that? Well, because there was this, this common belief in, the, in the, that, that time uh, that was, was really widespread. No prophet arises from Galilee. It's not from Scripture. <laughs> it's just one of those things that everybody had, had come to believe. And of course, if everybody else believes it too, then it must be true. There's a power in that kind of thinking, right? And so the demon uses this thinking and says, ah, Jesus of Nazareth. See, he's not from Bethlehem. The Messiah is supposed to be born in Bethlehem, so he can't be the Messiah. He doesn't have to say that. He just plants the seed of doubt. The unclean demon knew. He could use this to stir up doubt and disbelief. Now, the other thing that's problematic here is do you really want a demon speaking on your behalf? <laughs> you know, if you're going to court and you have a character witness, you're not thinking, you know, that, uh, that, local, that local drug lord, he kind of likes me. I'll have him testify on my account. Uh, that'll go really well. Now, he may say things that are absolutely true, but you don't really want them said by him about you, right? It's not like you're going to say, well, you know, if I could just, just have you know, that Hitler guy testify on my account and speak, uh, speak kind words about me, well, then people will believe what I have to say. Uh, the character of the witness does play a part here, right? This is, this is, again, part of the tactic because later on there are going to be people that say, oh, Jesus does these miracles by the power of Beelzebub. Uh, it's by the power of the devil he's doing these things. So 
the demon is, is trying to plant seeds that will cause doubt. But let's go back to that first part of the response from that demon. He says, ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? And this spirit is reacting to the preaching of Jesus and the message that the reign of God has come and that Jesus has come as king. And I really appreciate how Martin Chemnitz, the the great Lutheran theologian, explained this. He said, he, he writes this. The meaning then is this. What case do you have against us? Why are you invading us and disturbing our kingdom? Take care of the things that belong to you and let us go and let us have our own. Observe this carefully. The devil wants to tolerate the doctrine of the Holy One of God and indeed utters these words provided he can keep his own possessions in peace. In other words, the devil wants a deal. The unclean demon is saying, yeah, go ahead and establish your kingdom. That's cool, Jesus. Go ahead and do that. But we want to keep our rule, too. We'll just kind of be side by side. You have your kingdom, your rule, and we'll have ours. So let me keep this guy. (laughs) It's interesting because it's the same attitude we sometimes have pop up in our own minds. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, rule in my life, rule in my heart, rule in my mind. Oh, ooh, ooh, but, but leave that part alone. I kind of like that. I don't really want you uh, ruling in that aspect of my life. I kind of want to, I want to rule that myself. I want to do what I want to do there. Yeah, Jesus, I want to, I want to follow you. But um, I kind of like to keep this sinful aspect of things too that I really kind of enjoy. But Jesus didn't come to be a partial king, and he doesn't share his rule with sin and Satan. The Son of God has come to destroy the works of the devil. So after the unclean spirit speaks, then Jesus speaks. Be silent and come out of him. And I love the Greek here, because it's it's essentially, put a muzzle on it. (laughs) I am now putting a muzzle on you, and you can't speak anymore. Another rendering of this would be, shut your mouth. And he does. He has to. Because the king has spoken. You notice what happens to the the demon tries to harm this man. The demon tries to throw him down and cause harm, but Jesus says, be quiet and come out of him, and he, he has to. And the man is unharmed. Because this is the authority of Jesus. This is the power of Jesus. The spirit is silenced, and the, the spirit, even though it tries to rebel, casting the man to the ground, has no choice. It has to leave because the king has ordered it so. That's the authority of King Jesus. Now, as we finish up today, let's, let's go back to that bargaining spirit. That demon wanted to make a deal with Jesus. But we've got to ask ourselves, is there an area in which I'm trying to bargain with Jesus? Is there an area in my life in which I'm saying, let me just have that, Jesus. You can be king over everything else, but I want to, I want to hold on to that. Leave me alone in this.
And if there is, then today is the day to follow the example of the centurion and to go to Jesus and to ask for help that he would rule in all areas of your life, in all things. In fact, let's do that right now. Would you join me in prayer? King Jesus, all authority in heaven and on earth is yours. Forgive us for those areas in which we have sought to hold on to sinful thoughts, actions, and attitudes. By your power, silence our sinful thoughts as you silenced the unclean spirit and then drive out those thoughts, actions, and attitudes as you drove out the unclean demon so that your reign in our lives would be full. Jesus, you taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, and today that's exactly what we pray. Reign in our hearts, minds, and lives in all things. In your name we pray. Amen. Now may the peace that passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.